Excellent. Good morning to you. Welcome to Faith Bridge. We're visiting today. We're delighted, delighted to have you, uh, all of us, gathered here in one uh, auditorium. And if you're uh, joining us this morning on live stream, good to have you as well. Thanks for being a part of the Faith Bridge family for today. Uh, we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. Uh, we're going to actually begin with some poetry. Uh, if you were here last week, you know that we're, we're continuing our um, ongoing series uh, called Life Under Construction. And we've been focusing on uh, this week and last week on the mouth, uh, talking about the way we use our speech. And, and, and so to celebrate the, the mighty mouth, uh, I wrote a little poem this week. Uh, it's called An Ode to the Tongue, An Ode to the Tongue. Between your jaws and under your tooth is an appendage appearing at first uncouth. It's red and mushy and moist and wet and bumpy and porous and slimy. And yet, what the scripture doth teach us about the tongue is that no other bodily organ among all the rest has the tongue's guiding power. It can bring sweetness. It can bring sour. It helps you to chew and to taste. When you eat with no tongue, we'd have only the taste of defeat. Why? Without the tongue, there's simply no way you'd taste your yummy Chick-fil-A. Your waffle fries would be an awful dud. So open up your mouth and say, thank you, bud. But its highest purpose is clearly speech. We use it to talk and joke and rap and preach and rhyme and complain and sing and curse and insult and lie and slander and worse. This is the tongue and its endless capacity. You can even cite poetry if you have the audacity. Consider the power of the spoken word. And the marvel of impact from that which is heard, the tongue can build up and it can also tear down. It can help make a smile. It can help make a frown. Surely it is a sobering thought that a gift so profound truly ought to reflect the new life that comes from Jesus and not the sin from which he frees us, not the old life of lying and slander or sugary truths designed to pander and play only to what our friends want to hear. No, our tongue is designed to bring to the ear words that make peace and truths that heal and confessions that kill off old lies that can steal the joy and trust that love needs to grow in the body of Christ. This much we know. The tongue is a servant, a worker for hire. It can stir up good words or start a bad fire. And scripture warns us with serious dread to put off the ways of the walking dead. The mandate, no matter who we're addressing, is to make our tongue a source of blessing. Let's listen for sure that we're hearing with clarity and patience, openness, kindness, and charity. Let's listen to hear with grace and lucidity and not lash out at every online stupidity. Think twice before your tongue starts its careless dance. Don't give the devil the slightest chance. Let humility lead us to restraint and hesitancy from the lowliest citizen all the way to the presidency. And forsake evil talk with its foul, rotten fruit. Let's admit such talk simply does not suit the new life we're called to as Jesus believers. We're not slanderers, blasphemers, profaners, deceivers. So let's mind us the power in this oral cavity, its potential for good or oral depravity. Speak well, listen carefully. Mind what you say, let not the same tongue both curse and pray as surely the Bible does so clearly teach. Let's celebrate and treasure this gift of speech as God-given potential that's too good to waste. So speak truthfully, kindly, and in good taste and know what to do. There's only one hope and it isn't washing your mouth out with soap. 
The only way to change our tongue's behavior is having our hearts washed clean by the blood of the Savior and our lives empowered by his Holy Spirit. So they won't just see God's love. By God's grace, they'll hear it. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Thank you. Thank you. Vote, vote for me next week on America's Got Talent. Uh, <laughs> so, okay, we began last Sunday uh, a week ago this study on how we use the gift of speech. And if you were here, uh, you will remember that um, we began with a very basic and, and somewhat intuitive premise, and that is this good communication is very hard to do. Good communication is hard to do. And yet, um, in the face of these challenges, uh, we saw last week God gives us this radical call uh, to let Jesus be Lord of our tongues. And, and so um, we're going to dive right back into the text this week, Ephesians chapter 4, to see if we can figure out how do we invite Jesus into our mouth. Now, these folks standing in the front, uh, looks as if they're selling Bibles. Uh, they're actually giving them away. So if you don't have a Bible, just put your hand up in the air. Uh, I'm sure if you'd like to buy one, they'll do that as well. But uh, if you just put your hand up there, I want to give you a Bible uh, so that you can follow along. And if you don't have a Bible, take this home as a gift from uh, Faith Bridge. We want to make sure that we're all on the same page here. This is Ephesians chapter 4. This is in the New Testament. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. And we're going to begin reading in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desire, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, uh, we saw last week that uh, Paul calls us here in Ephesians chapter 4 to give up the life of the, of the walking dead, the old life, a life that he describes uh, in the early part of this passage uh, as being marked by darkened understanding, uh, alienation from the life of God, hardness of heart, callous sensuality, and impurity. And Paul makes this appeal because he desperately wants these Ephesian uh, believers, verse 24, to be washed clean and put 
on the new self. Put on that new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Then, beginning in verse 25, Paul spells out in practical terms some uh, specific steps by which Jesus builds, constructs his new life in us, three of which um, point to the way we use speech. We saw this last week, verse 25, put away falsehood, speak the truth in love. Verse 26 to 29, put away corrupting talk, speak to build up. Verse 31, put away bitterness, bitterness, speak with kindness. So last week, we focused on that first command, uh, put away falsehood. Verse 25, speak the truth in love. That's, that's mandate number one. Uh, this week, we're going to look at the second and third of those three uh, commands. So let's, let's begin there in verse 29. Verse 29, put away corrupting talk. Look at the text. Paul writes, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Um, the word that Paul uses here for corrupting talk um, or, or evil talk in verse 29 means literally foul or, or rotten or filthy or even putrid. The same word is used elsewhere in Greek uh, for rotten food. Or, or foul uh, fish. Uh, it's, it's very likely what Paul's talking about here is what we would probably describe as foul language, profanity, uh, dirty jokes, just any kind of conversation that sort of celebrates the vulgar and the profane. He says almost precisely that uh, just six verses later um, in the very next chapter of this letter, Ephesians chapter five, verse four, he writes, let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. In fact, uh, in a passage that almost perfectly parallels what we just read in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. He says, you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Now, I think all of us in the room this morning, we know it used to be, it used to be that nice boys didn't smoke, drink, cuss, or chew, or go out with the girls that do. Uh, nowadays, uh, it, it just seems like profanity and crude talk is kind of everywhere, right? I mean, it just, it's just a part of our normal everyday comedy, our entertainment, our conversation. We, we hear profanity so much, we don't even hear profanity anymore. It, it's just the way we talk. But in ancient Near Eastern culture, People took words far more seriously than, than we do. One Jewish scholar uh, put it this way, a word has a soul. They thought of words as almost having a life of their own. The, the biblical writers seem to understand much better than we do that, that words actually matter, that, that language, speech is serious business. Listen to how, listen to how James puts it. Uh, in his epistle, chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. This is the paraphrase from the message. James 3, 3 to 6. A bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole horse. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. 
A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke and go up in smoke with it, smoke right from the pit of hell. Now, let's be clear. The core of Christian living is never about what we don't do. The gospel is way bigger than, than words you don't speak. Like if you walk away from Faith Bridge this morning uh, with this grand new resolve not to use naughty language, uh, you're going to shrink down and you're going to miss the wonder of what Paul is calling us to in our new life with Christ. This is not a sermon about the seven words that, that you can't use uh, in church. Uh, th- this, is, this is an invitation to consider the power of the words you do use. The power of the words you use. Paul writes in verse 29 that we should use only such talk as is good for building up. And that word building up um, in the Greek, uh, sometimes translated edify, it comes uh, from the word uh, edifice. It's a, it's, it's a term that's used uh, in the building trade. And so what Paul is actually saying here is that, look, our call is to speak constructively, not destructive. That, that, that's, that's the baseline. Like if you're looking for a line in the sand, uh, there it is. Any speech, any kind of speech that tears down. Uh, and that includes everything from profanity to, to sarcasm, to name calling, to harsh ridicule, to gossip, uh, to crude humor, all of that stuff. But then he says this, and here's the really important part. Paul closes out verse 29 with this stunning statement that takes us well beyond that. He says, if you use the right kind of language, if you use the right kind of edifying speech, if you do speak to build up, then you can literally, we can literally give or impart the grace of God. Now that's a, that's a powerful idea. I mean, I mean, think about that. We can impart the grace of God. The average American speaks uh, 16,000 words a day. You may feel that you're living with someone who speaks a little more than that. Uh, But uh, most of us, I think, by and large, are so busy talking, we don't really have time to think too much about the impact of those words. But what if it is true, what Paul's saying here? What if it's true in a sense that our words do take on a life of their own? And they are either destroying or building up those around us. What if our words were seeds planted in the soil and the soul of the lives around us. Your friends, your, your co-workers, your children, your family members, your, your, your clients. Uh, just stop and think about the conversations you've had, the words you've spoken over the last seven days. What do those words impart to the hearers? They build up or did they tear down? C.S. Lewis in... Um, His famous sermon, The Weight of Glory, helps us, I think, to understand what what Paul is getting at here. C.S. Lewis writes, it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare, but all day long 
we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. The main idea that Paul is communicating here is that human speech is an amazing privilege and an awesome power. So he urges us, don't, don't miss out on the incredible opportunity we have to impart grace, the grace of God through our words. Put away corrupting talk. And that brings us to Paul's third and final mandate. Verse 31, look back at the text. Paul writes, put away bitterness and speak with kindness. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, if you look at the terms that Paul uses here at verse 31, um, it, it's a little bit interesting. He, he says, let bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Um, you remember those charts um, on the wall of your biology class in middle school uh, where, where there's kind of like uh, the development of something like a frog or, or a spider? And, and so it started off on one end with a, with a little tiny speck and that kind of became an egg sac and then eventually grew legs and then it grew bigger and then it just grew to full maturity. And, and it was a way of kind of, of seeing how uh, life actually uh, develops. Um, it, it, uh, there are a lot of commentators who, who suggest that maybe this is the structure that Paul is using here in verse 31. It, it's, it's almost designed, it seems, to kind of show us how something as tiny, internal, a little seed of hate, a little seed of bitterness can grow into something big and, and harmful like slander and malice. And as you read through verse 31, it does. It does kind of look like a, a life cycle or of a spider or something, but, but it also sounds a heck of a lot like some threads I've read on social media, like where someone's bitterness breeds anger, and then the anger breeds clamor, and the clamor breeds slander, and several hundred likes and, uh, you know, angry emojis later, it just explodes into this malicious ruthlessness. And what's especially important to note about this, this development process, is the final word in the thread that Paul uses. The final word in the verse is the word explosion, is the word blasphema, blasphema. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a word that's used in scripture. It's often translated as cursing or what? Yeah, blasphemy, blasphemy. And, and, and it actually comes from two Greek words, blapto, which means to, to uh, hit or to hurt uh, uh, or to injure, and then phema, which means to speak. So literally, uh, this word blasphemy could be translated as, as hurtful words, hurtful words. And here's what's interesting. 
That word blasphemy, when it's used in scripture, is almost always used with reference or connecting with speech that's insulting to the divine majesty of God. Here is one of the rare instances where it refers to human beings. And I suspect, I suspect it's Paul's way of reminding us that to insult the creature is to insult the creator, the, the God who made that creature, which is essentially what every young husband learns. If you insult the stew, you're insulting the woman who made the stew, which puts you in a stew. And, and that's basically what's going on here. Paul wants us to understand this is so important. It reminds us when we're engaged in conversation with another human being, you know, whether they're somebody at work or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a family member or just some random person on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever, whether we know them or not, we're engaged in conversation with a person who is made in the image of God. You remember what C.S. Lewis said, you have never met a mere mortal. So to insult or attack or, or, or blap toe that person, not, not to disagree with them, disagreement is legit, but, but to attack or slander them in a personal way is to attack, injure, and blaspheme the very God who made them. Now what that means, as Paul puts it, is we need to put away bitterness, wrath, anger, slander, and clamor with all kinds of malice. Now, you might ask, well, how do we do that? I mean, that, that, that sounds pretty tough. And in the world in which we live, how do we, in practical terms, how do we put that stuff away? Uh, let me just translate this into two very simple applications. The first is this. Um, listen twice before you speak once. Listen twice. You want to short circuit the process of bitterness? Listen twice before you speak once. I remember when I was um, a young husband, uh, there are many lessons I had to learn. Now, I'm, I'm pretty much the love doctor. But, uh, but, uh, but, but there was a lot of stuff early on. And, um, and one of the things I had to learn, for example, is when we were having an, a disagreement about something. Like I thought, you know, when we were having an argument, all I had to do... <laughs> was simply explain to her the flaws in her logic. And then she would immediately brighten up, get a big smile on her face and go, you're right, I'm wrong. You know what? I feel romantic. Um, this might surprise you a little bit. That's not what happened. I would carefully, meticulously explain to her where her reasoning was unsound and illogical. And she'd say, I don't care. I'm still upset. Well, of course, I'm a male. I know what that means. That means explain it again <laughs> at a higher volume. You know, but basically, what, what she was trying to help me to understand is a very important lesson about good communication. Is when somebody is expressing to us their opinion about something in whatever setting it is, in a committee meeting, at a family dinner, in an online chat room, what they want and deserve, first and foremost, more than anything else, is simply to be heard. To be heard courteously. To, to know that their thoughts and feelings matter. James writes in chapter 1, verse 19, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, 
slow to anger. If you want people to feel like they can communicate with you safely without just getting blap-toed upside the head, start here. Listen twice before you speak once. Listen twice before you speak once. Here's a second suggestion. Kill bitterness at the root. Kill bitterness at the root. When you start to feel that, that internal sense of, of bitterness, be intentional. When you begin to see this person not as a person created in the image of God, but as an idea that, that must be fixed or must be corrected or must be wiped out, sort of exterminated, recognize that. Deal with it immediately. Kill bitterness at the root. For those of us who are married, uh, it's the old idea, don't go to bed angry. Don't go to bed angry. Uh, I, I was speaking at a family camp at Lady Lodge over near um, Kerrville, Texas a few weeks ago. And one afternoon, this guy named Kevin, who was one of their um, naturalists, took uh, Maggie and me out in his truck to show us around some of the uh, canyons and show us some of the wildflowers and uh, just this beautiful area there at the headwaters of the Frio River. And Kevin was explaining to us that, that one of the real challenges of maintaining the beauty of the 1,900 acres of their property was controlling the growth of a particular species of spruce tree. Uh, he explained to us that they have to do several controlled burns uh, every year because if they don't, these, this particular species of spruce tree will just take over the property and it'll steal water from the oak trees and the other species that they actually want to grow. And that's when he said this. He said, we don't get that new growth spruce tree out within the first five years. We can't get rid of it. It's just too deeply rooted. It, 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 just, it is too widespread and it will take over the entire landscape, men and women. That's a pretty good way of describing how unchecked bitterness and malice and ruthlessness has taken over our national cultural landscape. It's so deeply rooted. It's so widespread. And, and, and it's not just a national issue. I think we know that. It, it, in some of our families, it's, it's crowded out the healthy growth, even among these people that we know and love. But go back just a little bit to verse 26. If you have your Bibles open, look at what Paul says. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Paul is saying, look, it's all right to be angry. That, that debate is, is good, uh, an exchange of ideas, strong disagreement, that's fine. But don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, don't let it fester. Don't let it grow because that gives the devil an opportunity that he can cultivate into the fruit of even more and greater and more widespread future sin. Kill bitterness at the root. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, maybe that happens through a frank, uh, honest conversation that makes everybody a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe, maybe it happens by talking to the Lord about your own, your own attitude. Maybe it means asking God to rip out of your heart the sin of wanting to be right more than you want to be righteous. Maybe it means all of the above. But Paul calls us to put away the evil talk because that keeps us from growing, verse 32, the fruits, the fruits of kindness, tenderness, and forgiveness. It was early on the morning of August 17, 2013. Keith Matthew Emerald found himself cold and hungry, 
been hunting in a remote section of the Sierra Nevada mountains out near Yosemite National Park. The signs were everywhere in the park, no campfires. It had been a very dry season, and there was a high risk of fire. But Keith Emerald, he was an experienced outdoorsman, and, and who could blame him for wanting a little re relief from the cold that morning? And so despite the clear command, he started a campfire. He didn't realize it at that moment, of course, but it would be a year later, on November 14th, 2014, before his campfire and the rampaging blaze it started was officially declared out. It was the third largest wildfire in California history. Burned 11 homes to the ground, three commercial structures, 98 outbuildings. No firefighters were killed, but there were 10 injuries reported. The firefighting efforts cost $127 million. And needless to say, Keith Matthew Emerald did a pretty decent job of burning his own life to the ground because he was charged with a felony and he was fined with a nine-figure penalty. A nine-figure penalty. Penalty. It was just a tragic story of waste and destruction in, in almost every way. But what's striking is that all that damage, all that loss, all that heartbreak and destruction began with a little tiny spark of fire. Men and women, this is the picture that the scripture gives us of the power of the spoken word, the power of the human tongue that burns out of control. Most of us here this morning have seen our own, our own view of the damage up close. We've seen it in wounds that have come by hurtful words spoken to us. We've seen it in marriages where, where lack of communication has led to pretty much an ashen landscape where once there are promises and hopes blooming. We've seen it in lost opportunities where we might have built someone up, but we chose not to do so. We've seen it uh, in families that have kind of grown used to silence instead of speaking truth uh, in, in love. We've seen it in that deep remorse that all of us have felt when you have spoken words and realize too late that you cannot unspeak them. We've seen it in our national nonstop buffet of, of foul fruit and rotten fish and, and corrupting words. We see it um, in the poisoned national conversations that come to us in broadcast and blogs and posts and, and, and tweets in the nonstop 24-hour news cycle. We've seen the damage. But here's the great news, men and women. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. In the final two verses of this passage, Paul tells us how to extinguish the fire of a tongue that is burning out of control. He says it begins with a heart that's been transformed by grace and mercy. In verse 32, Paul writes, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We're not going to be able to forget and forgive other people for the hateful, hurtful, thoughtless words they speak against us. We're just not, unless, unless we understand that our hateful, thoughtless, hurtless rebellion against the God of the universe has been forgiven by grace through the blood of Christ on the cross. The whole motivation 
For, for the new life to which God calls us is recognizing that we don't deserve that new life at all. It's ours only by the grace and mercy of God. And, and, and we're called to forgive others as God in Christ forgave us. That's step one. Step two is recognizing that we have to let, we have to allow God's Holy Spirit to do his work in us. That's why Paul begins verse 31 by saying, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Let all be put away from you. We have to choose, you, me this morning, we have to choose to let God put away from us all bitterness and anger and wrath and clamor and slander and malice. We can't do it on our own. We, we have to be willing to let God put away the falsehood so that we can speak the truth. We have to be willing to allow God through his Holy Spirit to help us put away the destructive habits, pull out those deep roots of bitterness and corrupting talk. We, we need to ask God to, to help us to be who he's called us to be. The only real lasting change and transformation is gonna come by the power of God's Holy Spirit in us. Only Jesus in us can help us to be like Jesus. We have to let him do his work. Otherwise, we, we might just as well just close in prayer and all walk over to Sunday school class and write on the whiteboard, I will not say those words. I mean, it, that's what it's gonna boil down to. It's letting God do in us what God wants to do. As we close this morning, we're gonna put up on the screen a prayer. Um, it, it's originally a prayer that was prayed by the prophet Isaiah um, uh, in the Old Testament. Some of you will know this prayer one day. Uh, just like us, um, Isaiah had been uh, in the temple. He had been at worship and he had an encounter with God in all of his holiness, in all of his goodness. And in that moment, uh, Isaiah came face to face with his own sin. And, and he prayed the words you see on the screen. Woe is me. For I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I'm going to suggest this morning that uh, we pray these words together out loud, that we should pray this prayer corporately. But then each of you, each of us, my hope is that it might be your prayer individually as well, an individual confession. And then what we're going to do after we say this corporately together is we're going to open the front up here and just allow for some time of prayer. I'm going to invite our prayer partners to come forward even now. Um, maybe your prayer might be a prayer of confession. Lord, I have not been speaking truthfully. I've, I've been lying about some stuff and I need to talk to you and then I need to talk to some people and they're going to be hard conversations. Or maybe it's a, a spouse that, 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 that comes with their, their husband or their wife and says, we've not been speaking the truth in love. We've been speaking to tear down. We need to speak to build up. Let's ask God this morning to help us to speak and impart the grace of God. I don't know what it might be. Maybe some of you this morning have never, ever made a commitment to, to Jesus. Like you're here today and it's the first time. You just kind of happened to show up this Sunday and, and, and um, you're going, this thing that Duffy's talking about, actually being forgiven for my sins through the blood of Jesus shed on the cross and that I can receive forgiveness from God by grace because he loves me and because of his mercy, 
I want that. I need that. I don't want to be living as a walking dead. I want to know the new life that I've been called to. We have some folks that would love to pray with you and talk with you about that. So let's together, in an attitude of prayer, let's together say these words on the screen that I'm going to cease to speak. And we just want to open this time for some prayer so that you can talk to God about how he might respond to you as you think about your mouth and your life under construction. Let's say these words together. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. Let's say them. Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And as you want to come, you want to pray, I just invite you to come right now. Make this your time where God and you talk through some of these issues we've been thinking about with regard to speech. Why don't you come right now? Think about the words you've spoken over the last week. What did you impart with those words? We have never met a mere mortal. How have we spoken to? How have we treated these folks? Whether in our family or at work or, or maybe just a clerk or maybe somebody in an online center. This is a great time this morning. Say, Lord, the gospel is not about what I don't say. It's about what I do say. But I have to put away the old if I want to put on the new. Anybody want to come and just take some minute to pray with one of our partners? Lord, I pray for this community of people right here, our brothers and sisters, our friends. I pray, Lord, that there will be something unique about this community, the way we communicate with each other. We are children of the one who is the living word. I pray that you would help us to speak grace, to speak truthfully, to speak to build up. You would put away bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander with all kinds of malice and that we would instead speak with tenderness, kindness, and forgiveness. I pray this for our families. I pray this for our interactions inside this church, outside this body, in everyday life. Lord, may we do this to your 